chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is putting out his credentials out there. And when we uh, read of some of the challenges that are going on in Corinth, we realise why Paul might need to stress that he is an apostle and that he is called by Jesus Christ. It's not something that he's brought about by his own ambition or his own kind of sense of grandiose purpose, but it's something that God has done. Good morning, Kev and Joyce. And so he's saying, listen, I, I'm a sent one. Apostolos means a sent one on a mission from the emperor to establish the culture of the kingdom. And so Paul is using a, a secular Greek word that was in common use and every, people knew what it meant. And he was purposely taking secular words and even the word church here. He says to the church of God, this has become such a... Uh, religious word but at the time of Paul writing the word ecclesia you're banished dog the dog is banished <laughs> this, this doesn't happen in proper <laughs> in professional circles um, right here we go so he so the word church there means called out ones into an assembly ecclesia it, it, it's a word that has <clears throat> had no religious connotations nor did apostle at the time Paul was writing these words he's saying to the called out ones of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified now that means made holy and uh, set apart made special God's special people um, and he's saying you are God's special people called together to be like an assembly for a purpose and this is something that God has done. And the same God who's called me to be an apostle has called you to be this holy people. And he says to be those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Now, those two words are almost the same word. They're from the same kind of root word, hagios, which is holy. And they, they have this sense of being set apart and special and devoted to God and... Um, Peter talks, doesn't he? He says, you're a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he picks up on the destiny of Israel that God had called them to be a holy people, to be his personal possession. He's saying, you, this assembled church, this assembly of people in Corinth, you are carrying on in this incredible sense of purpose and destiny that God gathers people to himself for his own possession in the nations of the world and so you and I wherever we are we are also part of this great thing called the church the ecclesia the gathered together ones and we represent him in our particular town or city or village or hamlet whatever wherever you live and so then he says you're called together along with all those in every place 
who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's saying we're part of this incredible community, this global community around the world. Just phenomenal. And so you and I are part of this same global community that the Apostle Paul was part of and the church in Corinth was part of. Now Corinth, just a little bit of background, Corinth was a very prosperous city. It was Greek um, with with a Roman... Um, obviously the Roman presence there and it was prosperous and (laughs) very um, intellectually kind of alive and full of debate and philosophy and all the rest of it but it was also a, a place full of just every kind of sexual promiscuity and things that we would say oh my that's really bad lots of idolatry there were something like a thousand prostitutes who were there just to serve the the community on behalf of the goddess Aphrodite and so one can only imagine (laughs) what the kind of culture was like in Corinth but as we scratch beneath the surface a little bit we get some insight into some of the things that Paul is addressing in the church good morning Raymond bless you lovely to see you and so uh here we go so he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's giving them that gift, his blessing. He's saying, come on, let grace. And this is a blessing from the apostle. He's saying, grace and peace to you. And I'm sure as the the person reading out this letter read those words, I'm sure the Spirit of God came on the gathering who were listening and they began to experience yet another waft of God's grace and power just beginning to move in their lives because the words of the servants of God have power and we release blessing through the words that we say so right then let's crack on he says verse 4 I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul's saying listen I'm so excited when I think of you. Now, we know as we read on through this letter that Paul has some tough things to say to these guys. But he's saying, listen, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited. I give thanks to my God for you because of the grace of God. Now, grace, the word there, charis, charis, means gift. It's something that we don't deserve. A gift says so much more about the giver than it does about the recipient. It just describes the nature of the giver, doesn't it? And and if we earn it, it's no longer a gift. It's payment, it's reward. And Paul was going into that way. If you were with me on the, uh, the saunter through the book of Romans, we looked at that quite a bit. That whole thing of this is a gift from God. Excuse me a second. This is grace is a gift. And Paul's saying, listen, you've received this grace from God, this power to become part of his 
incredible family but there's also along with that comes the power of God to um to be changed and to be transformed in our being so the 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 grace of God isn't just a gift that says there you are you're saved you're part of my family but the grace of God actually changes us Paul says somewhere else that it teaches us to say no to ungodly passions and there's something about the work of God in us that's a gift all the way through from beginning to end and when we get there and we finally meet Jesus face to face at the end of everything We'll say, Jesus, thank you for your indescribable gift that kept me all the way through. And he's Paul's saying, listen, you've been enriched in every way through this gift. And I think it's really helpful to just um, think, right, these people were in a prosperous, educated, commercial centre with everything going on. Lots of sport and athletics and um, ways to improve your mind and all the libraries and stuff like this. And yet he's saying you have been enriched in every way. So you've had all this stuff by virtue of where you're born. And yet because you have embraced Jesus and the gift of God, you've been enriched in every way. You've come alive in ways you could not have imagined. He says in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And Paul's saying, what Paul's saying is it's evident the grace of God, the gift of God is evident in your lives because you have changed. We can see, listen, when the grace of God is, is working in somebody's life, it is evident there is fruit. There's stuff you can measure. There's a measurable product as a result of receiving God's grace. So this is so cool. And so Paul's saying, listen, you are, you're just rolling in it. You've got, you're not lacking in any spiritual gift. And the word there for spiritual gift is charisma, charisma. And it's from the word grace. And it literally means a gift of grace. And so the spiritual gifts, which Paul will talk about some more in some length in this book, is really interesting, are called charisma. That's where we get the word charismatic. Now, charismatic has a non-Christian meaning, but its original meaning was this, this thing of God pouring out his spirit into people and giving his gifts in their lives, bringing about this change and this lift and benefit into their lives now these gifts are that Paul talks about are supernatural in nature and so when I've described them as the charismatic Corinthians these guys were truly charismatics they had every spiritual gift rocking and rolling they needed a bit of help with some other things which Paul it blesses them with as we go through um, but you and I who have embraced opened our hearts to the Lord Jesus he wants us to be fully alive in every spiritual gift he wants us to be truly charismatic um, which is not from this we're not thinking in terms of the secular meaning of it where we have a bright bubbly or engaging personality but we're looking at it from the point of view of those supernatural gifts that come as a result of the Holy Spirit living in our lives which which are game changers every single one of them so he says you don't lack any of these things and actually God's going to sustain you he's going to keep you in this right through to the end to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and I'm sure when Paul was writing his expectation was that Jesus was coming a lot sooner 
and we're here kind of dragging on through the 21st century now early stages and it, it seems like whoa is Jesus ever going to come back but for Paul it was a certainty that he is coming back for you and I it is a certainty is one of the foundation um, blocks of the Christian faith is that Jesus will return in glory and gather up everyone who's his um, to be with him forever right now he kicks into a bit of pastoral work <laughs> so here we go buckle up verse 10 he says i appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord jesus christ he's saying you're my kinsmen sure you're greeks and whatever else you are and all the whole shebang of ethnicity but he says you are my brothers and do you know what it's really 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 important that we understand this about the body of christ and about his about the church right we are members of the same family irrespective of our color or our language or our accent and is and if we could understand that so when paul says i appeal to you brothers he's saying i'm your own flesh and blood i'm one of the family we are the same family we're kins people paul's saying listen as an older brother i'm just saying come on guys i appeal to you he says i appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord jesus christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment for it has been reported to me by chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers what i mean is that each one of you says i follow paul or i follow apollos or i follow cephas which is um greek version of peter peter's name or i follow christ which is which we should all be doing obviously and then paul says verse 13 is christ divided was paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of paul i thank god that i baptize none of you except crispus and gaius so that none of no one may <coughs> may say that you are baptized in my name I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Now we know the word power is dynamis. It's like the the power of God is in the message. This is incredible. As Paul goes through. We're going to see, I may have to stop in a second. We'll, we'll see how we get on. But he's saying, listen, I didn't come with a whole pile of fancy words. I didn't come to stroke your Greek aesthetic ego about how eloquent I am in debate. That's not what I am about. I am not here to convince you by oratory. I'm here to release a word among you good morning pete i'm releasing a word among you and this is the word of the cross this message is the message of the cross so just when paul spoke um a blessing over the people he expected the blessing to begin to happen in real time paul expects as he opens his mouth and begins to deliver the message of the crucified jesus that things are going to start to happen and people are going to be changed and transformed because he says this is the whole 
this is what we live for. But he's but before he gets onto that, he's addressing this issue of division. He's saying, listen, this is really bad that you allow yourselves to be divided. Bear in mind, we just said he's referred to them as brothers. So if we're brothers, we have the same father, don't we? The same parentage. And so Paul's saying, what is all this about? Jesus Christ is not divided. And he's saying, you weren't baptised into me, into Paul. You were baptised into Jesus. We talked about baptism before. It's where we're literally submerged and pickled in him. And our identity is changed because we've been submerged and immersed in Jesus. And that's what baptism is all about. It's not about a religious ritual. Good morning, Karen Jenkins. And so then he says, verse 18, listen to this, just this is so important, so exciting. He says, for the word of the cross is folly. So this message of the cross that I'm saying has got power that's beyond rhetoric and beyond oratory. He's saying the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's madness. They look, people who are dying, blissfully ignorant and in their own refusal to believe they think the message of the gospel the christian message is folly they think it's stupid there are many many people on the twitter sphere and out there if you want to pick a fight who will just deride and totally mock and ridicule everything the christian message stands for and whichever angle you come at it from they'll they'll pour scorn on it because to them it is folly and Paul, and, but listen to this, Paul's, Paul quotes this scripture, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will frustrate, or I will thwart. God will literally, I always think of thwarting <coughs> when, you, when you're a kid and you're riding your bike, and someone has a smart idea to shove a stick in the spokes, and you go head over the handlebars. I always think that's like thwarting. I did, it's probably, it probably isn't the best description, but... Um, God is like shoving a stick in the spokes of all the great thinkers and all the people. You know, he's in all the wisdom of this world. He's saying, ah, it's not about that. It's about a crucified saviour. And so he says, um, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe, the highly qualified person of letters where is the debater of this age the greeks and the romans were big into debate if you read um uh what's his name saint augustine you discover that that's a whole there's a whole kind of career path in debating you could be a debater as a job as a career um anyway so <clears throat> verse 21 he says for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom it pleased god through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe he's saying listen it, it god knew all about our desire for wisdom and so he hid the truth in a message that seems foolish but the point was that he would save those who believe not who have just become intellectually titillated or mildly interested he's talking about something that happens in our hearts where we believe and we're changed and he's saying 
Um, so it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And Paul had seen evidence of this, hadn't he? All across the Mediterranean world and all up through Greece and up into to, uh, Europe and, you know, down all across Turkey, Mediterranean Turkey and Syria and all these places he'd seen God moving just because he was preaching this message of the crucified saviour. Amazing, isn't it? Excuse me, slurping. Now, this is the this is the important thing. The message has not changed. The message is still the same and it still has the same power to save. I'm just going to wrap it up. So I'm going to read on through and you'll love this. This is just beautiful, classic Paul. So he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that great? And he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise, According to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being or no flesh might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so Paul's saying, listen, it's all about, you really, 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 really need to understand it's all about Jesus. And he himself, the crucified Messiah is the one who becomes this wisdom from God. He becomes our righteousness, our redemption. He is everything. He is all in all. This, you, if we go back, you can spend a lot of time thinking about this if you really want to. But um, John the Apostle writes in his um, gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. He's talking about Jesus. The Logos was the embodiment of the very essence of God in human form. He's saying this embodiment, we did it on the saunter to the stable, just coming up to Christmas. This embodiment of everything that God is, this person, this human being, he has become the wisdom of God. And as we feed on Jesus and dwell on him and reflect on him and engage with him and have relationship with him and walk with him day by day by day and spend time being changed and shaped by him, our very minds and our hearts become infused and filled and the landscape of our brains becomes shaped and moulded by Jesus himself and the wisdom of God itself. And so... <laughs> He is everything. He honestly is so wonderful. He's so glorious. He's so excellent. 
let us not fall into the trap where we think we have to, our message is rubbish or it's not good enough or it's not convincing. Let's just keep talking about the the power of Jesus and how he's transformed us. Let's tell our story. Let's not worry about having a watertight case that stands up against the greatest um, uh, minds on the earth. We don't have to worry about that. Let's just keep loving him, walking with him. Lord Jesus, bless us today. Fill us with your glorious presence. Bless everyone listening on the radio, everyone on YouTube who'll catch up later and everyone on Facebook. Let us have a fabulous day today in Jesus name. God bless you.